I'll go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We're two landscape designers that have been in the business, well, over 25 years. I know I I always stress the well. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you do stress the well. And every time we open our podcast with the same thing, so you know that we're probably speaking to you from the crypt. (laughs) (laughs) Tales from the crypt. Tales from the digging, you know, yeah, they've dug deep, we're six feet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, through our podcast, Digging Deep, we want to bring to you our knowledge and our challenges. And, and our foibles, and uh, that's that's our mistakes. And um, lots of stories. I think that's my favorite part of it, all the stories. And well, anything we can do to kind of help you create these wonderful outdoor environments. Yeah, and speaking of outdoor, it's 106, and uh, here in Sacramento, and um, Michael, just tell me again what you just told me about the graduation ceremony that happened locally. Yes, at the University of California, Davis, I just saw someone posted on social media that during the ceremony that they, which is all outdoors, nothing indoors, that they, um, they had to stop in the middle of the ceremony because six people passed out and were taken to the hospital. So they stopped in the middle of it. I don't know if they finished it or whether they just stopped while they carted the people away. But um, yeah, it's hot. And especially when you're having a graduation outside where there are no trees and there's no shade, it's hot. And let me tell you, I'm looking out my window and there's not even a wisp of a breeze. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And these graduations are outdoors. And unfortunately, so many um, family members fly in from the Midwest and back East where they're not used to this, (laughs) this kind of of heat. So we wanted to talk a little bit um, about things that you could do to beat the heat. And also, we have talked about it a little bit, but um, we're going to bring up a few things. And then I also, towards the end, I want to share with you something I print out and give to all my clients when I deliver their final plan. It's my drip irrigation watering schedule. And I have my own schedule that I put together from uh, December all the way um, through the year. I should say January all the way through December. So We'll talk about that at the end. But um, as far as beating the heat, okay, some people have pools and we do have a river. But um, when it's this hot, <laughs> it's hard to even go outside if you don't have a, a, a pool. So um, Michael and I were talking about, you know, overhangs give you shade. But we were talking about mister. So let's let's first talk about mis- a mister system, not an MR period, but an M-I-S-T-E-R. Well. Mr. is Mr., huh? But we're not talking about a Mrs. system. All right, go ahead, Michael. I'm just going on. Right. Uh, <laughs> we, we, um, I have a horse. Um, we actually, my wife and I have two horses. We actually have four, but um, the two that are, are rideable now, um, they stay in the stalls and they have a Mr. system there. The problem that you run into, and, that, and I've seen it with my clients also, is Unless you're going to go, first of all, they use a lot of water. Second of all, unless you're going to this, these very high-end systems that have filters and can, can um, do something with the hard water, what happens is, like the ones that you go to Home Depot and buy, and they're inexpensive, you hook them up. And the problem is, is that a lot of us have hard water. Um, that means minerals in our water, and they clog up. So like at the barn, 
um, over the horses' stalls, which the horses don't mind, but they drip instead of misting, you know, that's supposed to cool the air, you're actually getting a lot of drops. And I've seen a situation where um, people put them up on a, on a trellis, on an overhead, and then what happens is they get clogged up and then big sections of it start dripping. Well, you know, if you want to be at a party and dr water dripping down your face or in your hair, I mean, that's a different story. But again, a lot of people find that annoying. I'm one of them. So um, that's the biggest problem. They use too much water. And unless they're the, the, the very, very, very expensive ones, which are like $10,000, um, they clog up and they wind up dripping big droplets of water all over you. Yeah, and not only that, um, Southern California, Los Angeles area, their water has been severely restricted because of the drought. So imagine we're putting up these little hoses to get a little mist so we could stay cool with our fans. And if there's any breeze, I mean, it evaporates so quickly. So imagine how, you know, even if without a breeze, how we're wasting water and it's evaporating. So I would say that forget the misters. I mean, we don't need them. However, if you have a pergola, an overhang, something that's solid, and you have an outdoor ceiling fan, those really help, don't you think? Oh, oh absolutely. I mean, I, I have to be honest with you. I mean, I, heat is heat, but I don't mind being out in the heat if there's air movement. And with the outdoor fans, that keeps the air moving. Plus, I will tell you, when it gets really hot and the flies and the bugs are out, mm -hmm. the fan keeps them from landing on you. And it's it's just, it's wonderful. So for me, you know, skip the misters, but definitely make sure that you put a wet-rated outdoor fan so that can keep the air moving and, and recirculating. Right. Um, now, if you don't have an overhang, and, you know, this is the last... Actually, this is something you would have wanted to think about years ago. But we want to talk again about trees, because if you were to stand out in the heat right now and then walk over to someone's yard that has a big shade tree, you're going to, no tree, you're going to notice almost a 10 degree difference. Oh, at least, at least. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. In fact, there'll be times, and I know Roberta does them too, that I do consultations when it's hot out and we'll try to find any area that we can, if they've got trees in the yard that we can stand underneath because we are not standing underneath it, it's blazing hot and you go underneath the shade of the tree and it's manageable. That isn't to say it's, you know, you're gonna wanna wear a sweater, but you're certainly gonna be much more comfortable under the shade of a tree. Plus you're, you're putting, having the trees, it helps with the environment and it also puts out all of that carbon dioxide, you know, and, and the oxygen, they it absorbs the carbon dioxide and puts out oxygen. So it's helping the environment. It's wonderful. And you can get free shade trees here, at least in Sacramento, we have the Tree Foundation. Um, they're not big to start with. And by the time you get it planted, we're looking at around five to eight years before you're getting, you know, a, a good amount of shade. However, it's never too late. And now that our climate has changed, and we are warming every year a little bit. Um, the drought is pretty much here to stay. I don't think the ice age is around the corner, at least not for <laughs> several thousands of years. So if you haven't planted any shade trees, this is the time to start thinking about it. However, I would not plant in 106 degree weather. Not at all. You're going to have to wait till fall. But 
You know, what Roberta was saying is true. In fact, you know, at the earlier podcast, we were talking about vacation spaces and, you know, going going to these great tropical gardens as well as great gardens. And I just came back with my wife. We came back from England. And I will tell you, it is amazing. I mean, when you go to these big gardens with these humongous trees, you know, one is called Attilia. Um, it's it, uh, Cordata. It's it's got kind of like a, a rounded leaf. Another one, the, the the sycamore. These are trees that are about 50 feet tall with an equal spread. And I will tell you, walking underneath them, the canopy underneath these trees is like to is it's heaven and that's one of the things that that to me is just so wonderful is the idea of planting a lot of trees and getting the canopy of the shade right and when you choose a tree let's say you've researched your tree you're going to look at how tall it gets how wide it gets if it's evergreen if it loses its leaf leaves is it fall color whatever you choose something that i've seen over the years in too many situations is people planted trees too close to the house. Have you seen that, Michael? Oh, yeah. In fact, um, I was just at a house where that where the tree it was a beautiful tree, but they were already they had an arborist over and they basically told them that it was compromising their foundation. And as yep. much as they didn't want to want to do it, they're going to have to take the tree out because it's a matter of uh, keep the tree and watch the foundation foundation of your house crumble and you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to deal with that or take the tree out and watch your foundation still you know in good shape so and the other thing is i will just a little aside um my experience also is when you have a tree planted too close to your house and it starts overhanging even if it's not that close um, the little varmints called rats and um, um, mice crawl up the tree and wind up going onto your roof and into your attic. It's what yeah. happened to us. Right. So yeah. having a tree, having trees are wonderful and, and having big canopies, but having them too close to your house, um, you can, A, as I said before, you can have problems with your foundation, but B, you can also have a little unwanted guest climbing up the tree like a ladder and coming into your attic or into your roof or into your house. And you don't want that. No, you don't want that. I once did a landscape design in West Sacramento. They were newer homes. And um, the previous owners, I don't know if the uh, if they were the first owners, the, the ones before, or if the association put this landscape in. However, they put um, a flowering, uh, a non-fruiting um, prunus, um, what do you call oh, it? cherry? Yeah, it, the Crowder Vesuvius. They yeah, had, oh, oh, okay, the purple yeah. leaf plum. The purple, yeah, thank you, plum. They planted it so close to the house that the branches were crushing the gutter. However, the HOA would not allow them to take the tree out because it was in. And yeah. that's absurd. So know that, you know, a tree planted too close to the house is, it could really damage your home. I mean, forget about falling over in storms. It's just, they grow, trees grow and the roots travel and especially liquid ambers, which are also yeah. not oh. sweet. Them, they can raise the foundation. They can pretty much destroy everything. So you really want to, um, you really want to research, first of all, what kind of tree and then where the tree is going, because You've got to know east, west, north, and south. You know, you have to know that where you place the tree, you want it to throw shade on the house, not somewhere else or on the driveway. But all these considerations are important if you haven't thought about that. And another good example, um, which I've seen once or twice, is um, 
there's nothing more picturesque than the look of a weeping willow. Yes, they're gorgeous. Oh, my but, God. Yeah. Weeping willows need to be when you own 40 acres out in the distance, way, way, way. And you have a pond. <laughs> exactly. And you have a pond. Weeping willows are notorious. That First of all, I've seen people actually take a whip, you know, just a branch when they get a flower arrangement and they occasionally use the curly willow in the flower arrangement. They'll take that out and they'll stick it in the ground. And surprisingly enough, it'll root. Weeping willows, curly willows, they grow amazingly fast, but they've got invasive root systems. So the root system loves to find water. And it is not unusual to find these willows going into your pipes, your sewer line. I mean, they've had stories where the, the willow roots have broken through sewer lines and coming up and have come up through the toilet. So when you're sitting down, you get goosed by a root. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a Roto-Rooter's favorite tree. Yes, yes, because yeah. you're absolutely right. It'll break into the sewer lines and they'll try to, they'll have to come in and have to grind it out of the pipes. Um, so it's really what Roberta was saying earlier was so true. It is so important that you find out all about the tree, what kind of a condition it is, how big it's going to get, what kind of the roots are, are they invasive? And again, she's absolutely right. The liquid amber, a nightmare, nightmare. It's that nice. again is if you have 40 acres, way out in the 40 acres, you yeah. know, plant, they're beautiful, way, way, way out there. Well, beautiful fall color, but, um, yes. you know, that's why it's, you know, you could call the tree foundation as well, but it's, it's good to know about your trees. For instance, I remember trying to replace that willow look with a maiden tree. Well, it's too hot now for maidens. Maidens yeah. usually die. Another beautiful tree that is no longer no longer planted and shouldn't be is a white birch here in Sacramento. They They're get it's because they get stressed. Mm -hmm. And once they get stressed, the borer moves in and literally decimates the tree. If you want a birch kind of plant, you can do a river birch. And there are some varieties that can take the heat. But you're absolutely right. The European white birch, which is picturesque and beautiful, they are being decimated all over Sacramento, especially wherever it's you get a lot of heat. Yeah. You, you know, you have to understand that this drought that we're in is not new. We've had. I mean, I took my lawn out in 2004. I was interviewed on, um, in 2006, I had an article in Sunset Magazine, uh, Life Without Lawn and Loving It. And then I was interviewed on the different news stations about the drought. That's back then. So what's happened over the years is what's called the water table. That's the water under the soil that you don't see has dropped. So that's why you'll see all these white birches dying because, um, the roots, they'll go down, but the, they, ha they can't go down far enough to find the water. It's dropped that much over the years. So um, it's important to find trees that, um, that survive here. Yes, and, absolutely. And one other thing is, is you'll see, if you, if you see or if you have trees planted in your lawn, and if you have any kind of a slope on your lawn, remember the water they're getting is only the water that you're using for your lawn, which is like, 10 minute intervals twice a day. Right. So the roots have to stay shallow to get that water. And if you'll notice the roots traveling around, the, uh, you know, all over the surface and being run over by a mower, that's what's happening. They have to go where the water is. And if they're in the middle of a lawn, they have to stay, you know, level with that. 
Absolutely. So that's one of the reasons that it's so important to think about deep watering. And um, even when you're planting, maybe put a, you know, if you're in an area that that um, it's relatively dry, you can put a pipe down into the ground around the root zone. And um, that way the water gets down to the roots rather than sitting on the surface. And you're absolutely right. That's one of the problems. It's kind of funny. I rarely, um, over the years that I've been working, we almost never plant trees in the lawn. We almost never use lawn, but we. But if we are doing a lawn area, we don't plant trees. And the reason for that is, you think of it, lawn is a full sun ground cover. That, that's all it is. You put a bunch of trees in there, they're right. going to actually shade it. So your full sun ground cover is going to get shaded. So your lawn's not going to do well. If you're putting a lawn in because you want to be able to play on it, having a big tree in the middle of it in a soccer field is not going to work either because you're going to wind up hitting the ball into the tree. Right. So, I mean, if you start thinking about it, it doesn't make sense to have had trees in the lawn anyway, even though people do. And lawn was like the consolation prize. Oh, you don't know what else to do with it. Just throw a lawn underneath there. And that might have been, yeah, that might have been great if we, if every day, like uh, my sister lives in North Carolina and every, every, during the summer, not only is the humidity high, but they get little, you know, one hour a day or two hours a day, they get a rainstorm. In Northern California, in places like Texas, in places like Colorado, in places like California, we don't have the luxury of getting rainstorms during the summertime. We rely, if we even get rain in, in the fall and the winter. So all summer long, you're not gonna be getting sprinkled from, from mother nature. Now, you know, I want to just go back a little bit. Um, there are these PVC tubes that are sold and they have a point on the bottom and they have holes up the up the tubes and you can get them in different lengths. And they are specifically for um, putting around a tree that you've planted. You don't plant it right next to the trunk, obviously, but you put these maybe in a triangle, maybe four feet out from the tree. And then in those tubes, you would put the drip lines in, which means that um, the drip water, and if you have drip irrigation and you have, um, let's say, two gallon per hour emitters and you leave them on for 40 minutes, let's say, in the heat of the you know summer, the tree's going to get what it needs. So those are available. I've seen them at um, hardware stores all over, but it really helps forcing the roots down instead of across. But again, I would... Um, I would avoid planting a tree in the in the lawn, but um, if it's already there, that could help. Although at this point, good luck getting those tubes in. <laughs> you have to auger it, it in. And, and that, that makes a lot of sense because the idea is to get the roots down, to get the water down. If you're in a situation where you have clay, heavy clay soil, it um, it will eventually percolate down, but heavy clay holds water. And so what happens is, um, it's slow to get down to the root zone. So by doing that, that really helps the water get through and down to the root zone. I, I'm really, um, if we can go now, I'm really curious to hear about your drip irrigation schedule for, that you give your clients. I want to hear. Okay. Well, I have a schedule and I have um, uh, the planting called NP, which are the new plants, because when we do a landscape, new plants, but very often there are shrubs and trees that are already there. If there are mature trees in, in the landscape, what we normally do is we'll circle it 
with um, a laser drip line. This is a three quarter inch line and we do maybe two, three circles around, um, let's say you have these redwoods that have been in there. These laser drip lines have drips every six inches inside the tube. So <clears throat> that's just an aside. However, when we first put in, well, right now, let's say it's the heat of the summer, we, we put in a new landscape because this is what we do. Um, we will set the drip irrigation for 20 minutes every day. That's a lot of water. But remember, these plants have to survive on top and they have to root in below. So with a new planting, that's what we do. Now, eventually, that um, 20 minute can go every two days and then every three days. Now, in this kind of heat, I have my drip irrigation on for 45 minutes every third day. So it's going to get deep, deep watering and then it's going to not get it, you know, for a few days and then it's going to get it again. So I'll just start with summer. You're going to have your system on probably 45 to even 60 minutes, but it could be every third, you know, every three days or even four days. Just depends on what you have planted. Remember, if you've got camellias, azaleas and hydrangeas, this is not enough water. We're talking about more drought tolerant water. Okay. If you have Japanese maples in those plants, we generally put two drip emitters on each plant, okay? So it's gonna get double the water. Now, as we head through the summer, and it includes September, and probably three quarters of October, you're gonna keep it there, and then you're gonna start bumping the water back again. So then you're gonna go to 30 minutes, let's say you were at 60, and then 40, and then 30 minutes, when we head into November and December, you'll probably be doing it every few days, 10 to 15 minutes. Now, we've talked about this before. Plants will die if you don't give them water in a frost. The, the frost does not melt and, and water your plants. It, it will kill them. So it has to be moist underneath. So even in the winter, you want to keep it on for five or 10 minutes. Now, if you have a smart clock or if you're smart, you will turn your water off when it's raining <laughs> because right. there's Thanks. no need for it to come on. And then um, as we come into spring, you may only need 15 to 20 minutes, let's say every other day or every third day. Okay, so this is not something that your clock knows how to do. This is something that you need to know how to do unless, like we we're talking about, you get a smart clock. Now, many clocks, the newer clocks have a plug-in which is an app that you can use from your phone. So no longer do you have to go and figure out the dials, the days, the time. Right from your phone, you could go to your zones, which are your valves, and change the time. So I have a dwarf mondo grass planted in between the flagstone. I actually have those come on every day for five minutes, a little sprays. And then I have a garden, and the garden needs to come on twice with short intervals as well. The rest, they don't get it. They get it every three or four days. That's their watering. So when you're looking at your landscape, well, when we put in a landscape, Michael and I, we have different zones and we right. have irrigated for those zones. Very often, um, you know, whatever system you have is an older system. You may not have those zones, but this is, you don't want to, oh God, I saw someone watering. No, it was a commercial building where they were spraying a lawn that I swear was only three feet wide in a medium and medium yeah. and all the water was going off onto the street and down the curb. You know, it could come a time like Los Angeles where you have to choose between drinking, bathing, cooking, 
or watering your lawn. Exactly. <laughs> no, and, and there, are, there are a couple things that, that again, and I know we've talked about this years ago, you know, in the past, but um, drought tolerant plants are wonderful. But when you first buy them, it doesn't mean you water them for two days and right. then stop watering them. They're, they're, then they turn around and they die. You need a year of them to establish a root system so that you can start cutting back on the water. One of the big frustrating things, even for us, and you know, we talk about stories, occasionally I want to pluck in a few. Um, here's, here's my own yard. Um, I had planted some uh, um, dwarf um, shore junipers and I always thought there was nothing that could kill them. And I put about three or four of them in one area, you know, that I wanted low coverage and just a silver gray. And in some areas, they're thriving. In my front yard, they're thriving. Um, in my side, over on the side, they're thriving. But this one area, I couldn't figure out why they were turning yellow and they're looking terrible. And well, I figured it out. Um, I have two male dogs and one of them in particular pees on them every day. Oh. And so the front yard, the ones that are doing great, the dogs never go into the front yard. Um, so they're, they're not peeing on it. So there are certain plants that I'm finding in my own yard are being stressed and not because they're in the wrong place, but when you have a male dog every day peeing on them, um, they eventually turn yellow and die. So I took them out and I replace them with some other things that I'm trying. Hopefully they'll they'll survive. The thing that the reason I'm telling this story is besides I think it's interesting is that the new plants just went in about three weeks ago. And the problem is, is that everything else is established and I've cut back on the water. But the new plants have to be watered for the first three weeks um, every single day. So I not only have to go out there with my watering can, and luckily there's only four or five plants, but I go out there with my watering can and make sure. And one of them, um, I didn't give enough. And when I went out there in the morning, I mean, it was like laying over half dead. Yeah. I, I gave it some, some sure, um, uh, some, um, super oh, thrive. Thank you. I gave it some super thriving water and by the afternoon it looked great, but the frustrating thing for those of you that have an established landscape and then you plant new things, especially you shouldn't be planting. I knew that, but I didn't care. Um, in the <laughs> middle of, of summer, I mean, I was tired of looking at yellow half dead junipers. So I wanted some color, but mm -hmm. you know, there's things you have to deal with. You have to water them more. You have to be attentive. Um, I have a smartphone. I have a smart system, but they don't take into consideration the new plants that you just put in. Right, right. So you really have to think about this because um, plants are not cheap. In fact, they have almost doubled in price. So um, when you plant them, and this is not the time to plant them, however, Michael wanted color. But if you do, um, having some shade in the afternoon is going to help. And also you're going to have to water them every day. Um, which is what we do when we have a new landscape. And then um, then we start bumping it down after a month into the regular. So facts again, when we're ta talking real quickly stories, I was just gonna tell you, I found, I happened to be at the nursery and I didn't go to the wholesale when I went, uh, I was over at Green Acres and they had, I'd never seen it. It was a dwarf bougainvillea that maxes out between two and three feet high and two and three feet wide, was the most gorgeous color I've ever seen. Um, so, and they were one gallon. So I bought two of them, but, <laughs> um, and they're doing right now, you know, I put them in even with the dog peeing on them right now, they're thriving, 
except the only thing I will tell you is when you said prices have gone up, I've never paid this for a one gallon. They were twenty four dollars. I know. I know. I, was like, I almost I almost dropped when I got when I when they tallied up the bill and I said, well, you know, I do get a discount. You know, I get 10 percent off. Big deal. Two dollars and 40 cents. But they were twenty four dollars for one gallon. You know, so I'm babying these. I'm looking at these. I'm lo watching these, you know, because I've never paid that much for one gallon ever. I know. Yeah. So you're going to want to watch and baby them. Yeah, I was uh, I was you know, I've been I always peruse the the nurseries and I realized that what used to be a six ninety five one gallon, they're now twelve ninety five. And then if you're gonna get something special like what you've got, and um even the Alstromeria they wanted thirty dollars. Um it was just kind of crazy. So um so the moral of this story is first of all, different ways to beat the heat. We talked yes. trees and then we talked about irrigation. So this is this is I guess we should call this staying alive. <laughs> Right. Staying alive and staying out of the heat. Yes, and I agree. Staying out of the heat. So we hope that this has been helpful. I'm Roberta Walker. I'm Michael Glassman. And we are digging, digging deep. Thanks for joining us.